Eller with a Steve O. Spratling. We're a podcast. We're a dead and lovely. <laughs> that was it? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Man. I warned you I had a sick intro up my sleeve. Welcome to Dead and Lovely, award worthy podcast. <laughs> Bon Jovi-worthy podcast. Yeah, you just heard that intro. You know what you're getting into. <laughs> These are the motherfucking tag team champs of podcasting. Oh. I recently, recently lost the Intercontinental Championship and a, and a screw job, but we Listen, still got them tag team belts. We're just them underdog favorites is all that we are, Steve. And let me tell you something right now. And I, You know what, Ben? I'm sorry to have to start the podcast like this, but I'm going to take down Ric Flair real quick. Cut him up. Ric Flair, listen to me, Ric Flair. When I become the the, the, the podcasting uh, heavyweight champ of the world, Mm. I will be a one-time champ, not 15 times. You got to lose it 14 to become the 15-time champ, you loser. Bring it, Ric Flair. He is coming Woo! down on Flair something hard. You can't see it, but I am holding four fingers on both of my hands down. <laughs> he might indicate. call himself a 15-time winner, but to us, he's a 14-time yeah. motherfucking loser. Yeah, dude. It's like, hold on to it for once. Yeah, just damn, damn. Well, to you wonderful listeners, you are listening to Dead and Lovely, your absolute a wrestling favorite. podcast. Yeah, your favorite wrestling podcast. <laughs> podcast <laughs> here with your horror host uncle ben eller and who's that who's that wonderful person i got there on the other end of that skype line today steve well that's me hollywood steve spratling out here in beautiful koreatown hollywood oh man you're out there just chilling out in them hollywood hills how's it been out there lately steve oh man the hills of koreatown it's like gosh they're just rolling are um, they really no no I guess it's uh, it's a little uneven in Koreatown. We have a few uh, uh, inclines, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's pretty flat. Do they see you rolling, 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 rolling hills? What? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, they do. I'll tell you, I've had a, had a pretty good week. The wife and I have just been chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool. We uh, were super excited for last week's uh, Game of Thrones premiere. Ooh. I have don't uh, please say nothing about the the episode that came on tonight because uh, I my wife had to work tonight so I wait until she gets home to watch it. Um, I done watched it, Steve. I believe it's. Uh, I'm guaranteeing it's great. It came uh, in hot. I love I love this show. It's so good. I very Game much enjoyed last week's. Uh, uh, as as we as we record this, last week was the debut episode of this new season. Yeah, of Game it was of the Thrones, premiere. 2017 mm-hmm. season. And um, it was badass. I'm not gonna spoil anything. This isn't really a Game of no, Thrones podcast, no. but it was it was really cool. And I'm I'm happy to see too. You know, I don't know. I'll put it to you this way. I'm sad knowing that there is this season and one more season left. I'm sad about. Yeah, that. that is sad. But at the same time, I'm happy knowing that since there is an end in sight, that means that they are driving it towards something. Because honestly, yeah, a- as wonderful as the show is, I do feel like. I mean, for a lot of seasons three, four, and five, there was a lot of feet dragging going on. Just kind of like, 
I feel oh, like sort of yeah. waiting on Martin to finish a book so they'd know where they could take it. But I feel like around, yeah. you know, the 2016 season, they were like, well, okay, hmm. it's going to be a while before we get any kind of conclusion book-wise. Let's just take the reins, drive mm-hmm. this thing somewhere. Now, this is neither a wrestling nor a Game of Thrones podcast, but if it were, I would point out that on rewatching the last season of Game of Thrones, I saw in some of the last few episodes some parallels to uh, it seemingly it seemed to me as though David Benioff and D.B. Weiss were were killing off George R. R. Martin in a couple of characters. Mm. Like he seemed to be represented by by well I, I won't I won't say anything I won't ruin it for anybody but I I think a few characters definitely did represent George R. R. Martin in a way and yeah. when they were killed off it was like this we're free like we can do whatever we want now and I, I think they did really good with that premiere yeah and you know it's like well we've mentioned it on the podcast before talking about other movies that were based on books even our Harry Potter episode that we did where it's like yeah I've kind of reached this point now where I can be okay with something being based on a book and taking it mm-hmm. somewhere other than what the book did. If you want the book, yeah. read the fucking book. Yeah, it's available. Hey, go read it. And it's, um, you know, in, in a lot of cases like Harry Potter, great. Uh, the Walking Dead, you're going to love the comic. But, you know, I think The Walking Dead actually was the one that really transitioned me into being like, you know what, I don't care that this isn't exactly the comic book. Because mm-hmm. the, the comic, because like when you're talking about, say, like, harry potter like you have to envision all the things in your mind but with a comic book you're seeing almost a cinematic take on the story already Mm -hmm. so in seeing it turned into a tv show you don't want to see just exactly that you've already seen that you want to see them do something a little different it's kind of like how the matrix was based on the bible but it was a little different yeah yeah (laughs) because right yeah because in the bible uh, Morpheus, he he doesn't uh, he doesn't survive the end. Yeah, it, it's true. It's true. And, yeah. and Jesus favored karate chops instead of high kicks. Oh man, Jesus loved karate chop. He didn't care about ninja chops or Judy chops, but karate chops. <laughs> ninja chops and Judy chops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh-huh. you know, another one too. We've been watching this week that again is based on a book, but is quite 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 different. Um, in terms of where the story and the characters go and stuff, we just finished watching that first season of American Gods on Stars. Oh yeah, we were talking about this last week, and I actually haven't even gotten back into it. Well, we uh, finished was it that. great. Yeah, How'd we finished that first season, and it was fucking cool. Like, I really loved Neil Gaiman's book. My wife like yeah. really loved Neil Gaiman's yeah. book. She was like all fucking about it. I thought it was cool, um, and she's usually a, quite a bit more of a stickler than me about something straying from a uh-huh. book you know um yeah but we watched this and it is quite a lot different from the book but it makes it makes sense in a lot of ways you know it's stuff that the characters in the book could have done kind of like handmaid's tale and how it was you know it, it it's it strayed from the book in a lot of ways but it was still well, logical yeah. you know it still yeah. made sense in that universe and so on american gods is kind of like that i think the only thing that i didn't like as much is the uh, well, I don't want to spoil anything so you haven't watched it yet. But okay. there, there's a few characters that had more of an emphasis that didn't have a really big part in the book. That was kind of like, uh. But the casting and, man, yeah. just, just visually, dude, it is visually mm-hmm. unbelievable. It is one of the most gorgeous 
just visually uh, captivating TV shows I think that I've ever fucking seen. Now, Ben, just to go back to Game of Thrones for a second. Yeah. Do you think um, at any point they're going to see a polar bear and then find out that they were dead all along? I mean, okay. It depends. Does the polar bear come before or after the smoke monster? I think it comes before and it almost kills a hobbit. I think more shocking would be if they saw an Asian guy on Game of Thrones. Oh man. <laughs> and he only he only spoke Japanese? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And his wife was pretending to only speak Japanese, but she spoke English. Guys, these are lost references in case <laughs> <laughs> in case you're wondering why are they talking about a dissatisfying ending to a show oh, lost man. that's why supremely dissatisfying yeah. ending man that that show speaking of dragging your feet that show drug its feet constantly oh my god well because it absolutely did not know where it was going it was just no. making bullshit up as it went and which is fine you can do that and it can be good you just have to like be confident in it and not be like well we want the season to end this way so we got to make sure not to get there too quick that show really did for those first couple of seasons just have me i mean squarely by the short and curlies just with a firm grip yeah i mean yeah it was one of the earlier shows that really focused on creating uh, a strong cast of characters though though i wouldn't say that lost has a strong cast of characters mm -hmm. but they have a cast of characters um, <laughs> of all the cast of characters i've ever seen they are one of they, them yeah that is a like if someone were to say that's not a cast of characters i would say i mean if you look up the definition of cast of characters they fit it for sure <laughs> yeah it's multiple people <laughs> And they're not they're not playing themselves. It's true. These are Characters. actors pretending yeah. to be people. <laughs> Characters, one would say. I really wanted to believe in that shit, and then it's just like the more it kept going, I was just like, yeah, they I actually yeah, I actually really loved all the Dharma initiative stuff. I liked the weird elements that, that started creeping in, but I yep. wish they had creeped it in early. Like like it should have been it, it should have gotten quicker to the weirdness instead of giving me so many long hours of watching uh, the that lady who plays an elf in one of the Hobbit movies and yeah. the country singer looking guy and what's his name <laughs> from Party of Five. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to believe, but it just, it really, really did just kind of, kind of let me down, man, kind of let me down, but... Oh, oh man! When I say "What's her name?" who played an elf in the Hobbit, I should say uh, she, she is. She will be playing Wasp, who uh, unfortunately is not the original Wasp, who is one of uh, a character who is very dear to my heart. But she'll be playing Wasp, and I, I love Wasp. So you don't say. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, well, she. You've seen Ant Man, right? She plays. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, at the end, it, like you know, he basically. What's his name? Paul Rudd. Michael <laughs> Michael Douglas. He uh, basically is like, here, I got you a suit or whatever. Nah, I don't remember. I forgot about that. It's been a long since I watched that one. Yeah, so the next Ant-Man is Ant-Man and Wasp. Speaking of Pretty a Marvel awesome. movie, did you see the new uh, Thor Ragnarok trailer? Yes, I did. And I'm fucking excited. Did it, did I... it get you hard? 
Yeah, 100%. Because, first off, it's got kissy face Mark Ruffalo. No. And it's got uh, it's got uh, big old Chris Hemsworth, you know, mm-hmm. being uh, both handsome and funny. Oh, yes. Uh, like a son of a bitch. And... Yeah, it's it's uh, Planet Hulk and uh, gosh, Kate Blanchett looks great as Hella. I'm Fuck so yeah. excited. Taika Waititi is amazing. I like the whole like '80s vibe that they're playing up to. Like even the logo that says like Ragnarok yeah. looks like the fucking Bigfoot '80s monster truck logo or something. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I'm totally okay with that. The Thor movies I think have been fun because they they totally make no qualms mm. about how how silly it is to have. A Norse yeah. god among men and stuff. It's like they, it, it's not played super serious, and I like that about it. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, the Thor movies also have Idris Elba and um, Tom Hiddleston just kicking ass as Loki. Like it, like I would say, Dark World is not the best Marvel movie, but um, it, it advances the story of Thor mm-hmm. yeah. in a great way. I think like people need to stop thinking of Marvel movies in the way you think of movies and start thinking of them the way you think of story arcs and comic books. Oh, totally, like, yeah. Every story arc isn't like some amazing, like uh, perfect three-act movie type of story arc, mm-hmm. but they advance characters in ways that when you're talking about dealing with it, an entire universe of movies, you can have a movie that that is more about advancing character than about advancing plot. That's a really good point, because even in like a great classic story arc, it's not like every comic book in the series is just fucking dynamite. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I love the Thor movies. I, I, Chris Hemsworth's amazing. He's so good. He's, I really liked him in the Ghostbusters uh, remake. I like, he's great. He's he's really charming, fun, and Mark Ruffalo is awesome. Shit, yeah, um, he is. He's really great for Bruce Banner. Like just that, like, like you can see the anxiety right below the surface on him. You can see how like stressed and and angry he can be in seconds. But, like, he also is able to play that cool exterior and intelligence that, that Bruce Banner has. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really think that most all of the casting in the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been really fucking awesome. I can't really honestly yeah. think immediately of a lot that I could complain about, honestly. Yeah, I I mean, they've they've uh, had some, some changes uh, Terrence Howard, for instance, changed to Don Cheadle. Right. Um, Which is fine by me. I like Don Cheadle a lot better. I than love Terrence Don Howard. Cheadle, yeah. Um, Terrence Howard was was great. Uh, they had some problems with him. They moved on to Don Cheadle. Yeah. I mean, like, Marvel's not going to fuck around with you if you're if you're going to be too hard on the set. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I really... The casting, though, is interesting because... It, it's been the same casting director, I believe, the entire time since the since um, Iron Man. Really? That guy must yeah. be a fucking nerd. Uh, well, that lady is oh, a fucking nerd. Damn. Yes, Sarah Halle Finn. She um, she yeah, she's been the casting director since Iron Man. So when people think about the the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how it all comes together and how it works together like she she's made it like she is really keeping shit going and keeping it together 
No kidding, man. No kidding. And, you know, really, yeah. I was talking about this the other day with a friend, but it's like, really, you know, as far as the last decade or so, I mean, really, you can trace it back to when the first Iron Man came out, but really, for the past decade or so, yeah. every summer blockbuster, <laughs> in some cases, more than one summer blockbuster, it has been a superhero movie for the past yeah. de- decade. And it's like, I really feel like... Out of principle, I should just be complaining about that and being like, my God, can we not move on and do something else other than a fucking no. comic mm. book movie? But dude, Don't, I, I'm yeah. not Yeah, I'm not getting tired of it. I'm totally not I'm getting not tired either. of it. You know? that, I, I think we've talked about this maybe in a past episode where the, the Marvel movies do a great thing of instead of each movie being a comic book movie, which really wasn't well defined before Iron Man, mm-hmm. uh, before instead of them being just a comic book movie each movie has it, it tries to fit into a specific genre yeah. so like you get you get like spy thrillers like winter soldier mm-hmm. which is amazing i love the way they do that you get uh um, Ant- ant-man is kind of a heist movie of sorts yeah ant-man's a heist movie so like instead of just trying to make you know comic book movies where i guess the comic book movie trope before that was superman where every comic book movie is about how amazing this character is, the end. Yeah. Like, <laughs> saves so, the like, day kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that that is also what was great about Iron Man is that he's not, uh, like, he is an amazing character, but he, it, it's not like he is above reproach. It's not like he doesn't do stupid shit. Right. Like, he does dumb shit. And he gets dumb lucky, and we're happy to see him get dumb lucky, and we applaud. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, there's still that part of me that is just the, you know, the the 10 or 11-year-old Uncle Ben in here that, you know, if you would have gone back to when I was a kid and told me that one day there would be an R-rated Deadpool movie that oh, like, man. would yeah. make millions and millions and millions of dollars and, yeah. be- and become the highest grossing R-rated movie ever. I would not have believed you even for a heartbeat. So, no. I mean, dude, if you'd have told me there was going to be a Doctor Strange movie, like... Yes, seriously. I mean, that is that is <laughs> such like, not even a B-list character. That's a C-list character. Yeah. And he was played by, you know, one of the biggest stars in Hollywood, and that movie made bank, and it was widely accepted and loved, and it's badass. I would not have believed you, you know, as a kid. I would have been like, no way, this is just like nerd stuff that only I'm into. One day I'm going to blow Little Ben's mind and use our uh, dead and lovely proprietary time machine, go back in time and tell you about all of these things, and then come (laughs) back. And then we'll record an episode and see what you think. I'll be like, no! No way! I just can't believe you. I can't talk to you. You're I'm not related to you. Bye. <laughs> I'll tell. I'll pretend I'm a substitute teacher for homeschool. <laughs> oh, okay. It's Uncle Steve. It's me, Uncle Steve. And then I'll um, think back and be like, I had a great uncle named Steve. So for my online <laughs> persona, I will become Uncle Ben. Yeah. <laughs> and then you'll make that wild rice you're so famous for. Oh, I am known for that. It's true. <laughs> so, Ben, mm-hmm. um, we just talked a, a good bit about some Marvel movies. Um, I just real quick have to say, and Tell I don't know that we've ever talked about this, but this is this was the biggest thing to come out of Comic-Con for me. 
And that is that Young Justice is getting a season three. Yeah. I, I don't know right, Young Hold Justice. on. Everybody's applauding. Every, I, hold on. I don't yeah. know what that is. Young Justice is a show you need to watch. I believe it's on Netflix. I'm not sure it still is. But it is... Um, it it's uh i I guess it would be a teen show that it's kind of like they're the teen titans but they're they're basically the justice league b team and they're all like young like you know we have robin and uh aqualad and kid flash and and a lot of these characters all right and they're thrown into very adult stories and situations and they deal with them while also dealing with the fact that they're teenagers and they're uh, inexperienced, etc., and the storytelling is fucking amazing. Really? D- the, yeah. And when season two ended, I wrote three spec scripts for just Young Justice season three, and it's been—I think it's been five years since season two ended, and they're doing a season three, and it's got like—I think they're doing twenty-four episodes. I'm so excited. So awesome. God Check damn. It out sometime. So is it kind of like Generation X, but for the DC universe? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, that's that's pretty. Uh, pretty much on point yeah and uh the the show will remind you somewhat maybe of the justice league cartoon Mm -hmm. and also uh, i feel like it has a lot of good elements of batman the animated series like a lot of that not not the art direction and stuff but the the serious themes and stuff and like the way that the show is like it's very serious despite the fact that it's also jokey at times and like you know teenagery that sounds like something that I might enjoy. I might even be crazy about it. I might even be a maniac for it. He's a maniac, maniac <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> which brings us to the topic of today's podcast, which is Maniac from 1980. One of the most warped and fucked up movies I have ever fucking seen. You know, Ben... Uh, just to prepare for this episode, I've been doing bath salts and uh, listening to Halloween scream tapes over and over, <laughs> just to try to get into the mind of uh, of this maniac. Hollywood Steve has gone off the rails, or on the rails. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Doing <Right>. rails. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> Steve, was this the first time that you watched this movie? Yes, yes, and it. Oh my god. <laughs> I watched this for the first time um, probably about eight or so months ago, I think. Oh, God. And so your life changed. Dude, it really it really did kind of like spin my head around, I'll tell you that. I watched mm. it because Say You Love Satan, uh, my, my, yeah. my favorite horror movie podcast. Oh, man. All did right. an, did All an right. episode about it, and uh, I was like, well, I should, I should watch this movie so I can dig the episode. So I watched the movie and I was I was blown away. I watched it on a YouTube rip. There's a couple of different YouTube rips of this that you yeah. can find. And yeah, I'll tell you, there. like the first one that'll come up is like an hour and 20. It's edited. It doesn't have a lot of the good yeah, stuff. Yeah, don't watch it. that. You want to see the goods. Yeah. There's another one that's up there as, you know, as of this podcast. It's like an hour 50 long and... It's it's still only an hour and a half, hour and twenty or so long, but there's like some repeated stuff of the first of the movie at the end of it. 
Um, that one is uncut and has all the great gore scenes and stuff. So that's the one that you want to watch if you're watching it on YouTube. Although, really, this is one of those ones you should just go ahead and buy and add to the permanent collection. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, this is one that you'll want to expose your friends to in the future. Um, with a probably a, a like heavy dose of, guys, I think this is fucked up before you show it to them. <laughs> Don't just whip this out. No. Like... Like, one time my friend Charles, I guess he thought it was a funny gag, um, was like, do you, <laughs> you want to watch a movie? And I said, yeah, and he turned on gay porn. Now listen, <laughs> I got nothing wrong with, uh, with, uh, people having sex with people of their same sex. I'm fine with that. That's great. Um, you know what? I, I don't even have a problem with someone just tossing some gay porn on. But don't tell me we're about to watch a film and then turn on porn. I wouldn't have cared if it was straight porn. It still would have been weird. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Charles. You know, this is really one of those movies where you you will want to a lot enough time after watching it to uh I would suggest I would suggest take a shower and watch a Disney movie. Yeah, like right after this, maybe watch, I don't know, like, uh, what, the Lizzie McGuire movie or something. That wouldn't be a bad choice, yeah. man. If if there's yeah. a way to watch a Disney movie in the shower. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, if we're in the shower right after watching and you're watching a Disney movie, I would go probably with, I'm going to say Pocahontas? Oh, I'm an Emperor's New Grooveman myself. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, Emperor's New Groove is amazing and all, but Pocahontas will make you uh, uh, sing in your, your head for a couple of weeks. Savages, savages, barely even human. Oh, God. <laughs> that movie's terrible. It's oh. a bad, bad Disney movie. Yeah. Yeah, the first time that I watched this, it was it was so far beyond the realms of uh of just grime and yeah. disgusting violence and just depravity i think of about anything that i've seen and I, I still think that it is easily in the top three most fucked up movies that that i've ever seen it yeah it is a warped strange movie yeah it's a uh it hasn't been sitting on me for very long but even in that short period of time i've just been like yeah that's there's not much more fucked up than that. <laughs> Maniac is fucked up. The main subject of this movie is a is a serial killer with some really, really, really severe mommy issues that tend to be driving his actions and motivations, which is something that is kind of common to see in other horror flicks. We've seen this very many times in the entire uh, history of horror movies. Uh, a, a killer having mommy issues and that's what drives him to the to the realms of insanity so steve mm -hmm. yeah. i would like to take a minute before we start getting into this movie to play a little game of the match game for you here and try to set you up with some of my favorite horror movie bachelors and see who you choose oh man is this the dating game but with serial killers it just might be all right, Chuck Woolery, be back in two and two. Well, buckle up here, buckaroos. We've got Bachelor <laughs> Bachelor number one here. All right, let's hear this hottie. He's an athletic physique uh, right. young man. Mm-hmm. 
who has a hair lip, but that doesn't let him stop. Uh, that doesn't make him stop partying. Okay. He's okay. got a thing for photography. All right. He's got a thing for classic art, including a huge penchant for William Blake. Oh, now is this is this the guy from um, uh, Red Dragon and uh, and etc.? What's his name? Uh, you, you may be looking for a Francis Dollarhide. That's him. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, he loves some William Blake. The Tooth Fairy from Red Dragon. I really enjoy Red Dragon. You could also say that he's from, um, oh, fuck. What was the first one that they did? Manhunter. Manhunter. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's been a really long time since I watched that, but I really like Red yeah, Dragon a I, lot. I haven't seen that probably 20 years. Yeah, he's uh, he's one of those cats who was severely abused by mom in his, in his younger days and uh, kind of led him down sort of a sort of a strange path in life, Steve. Mm, so okay all right i'm still considering him though because he he was played by attractive uh character or character actors uh tom noonan good looking dude mm. very tall too tall for me i like a tall woman but a tall man uh, you know not as much uh, well i'm not into men so it's probably <laughs> that's probably the first issue yeah that might be something right. to do. well let me go ahead and introduce and then ray you to fine that. ray fines played him so i mean that's voldemort He's, yeah. He's a powerful man. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is the guy for you. Let me introduce you here to Bachelor number two. Is that all right? All right. Yeah, let's hear more about him. Now, this guy, he really loves to stay at home with his mom after an evening of working uh, at the incinerator. Okay. He enjoys going out and disco dancing up a, up a storm. Uh-huh. Okay. Also a little bit of a fire bug. I bet he wouldn't mind lighting up a few candles to set the mood or setting you on fire with a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> now, is this is this the guy from Don't Go in the House? That would be one Donnie Kohler from Don't Go in Donnie the House. Donnie Kohler from Don't That dude is fucked up. That movie is fucking out of control crazy. That's one of those ones I'll tell yeah. you guys too. It's like it reminds me of Maniac in a lot of ways in that it just yeah. feels like you gave some fucking lunatic a camera and told him to go make a movie. It is a strange movie. And there's a very similar scene where the victims come, like, mm -hmm. or he hallucinates the victims coming back to life and attacking him, yeah. Yeah, very, very true. They both came out in 80, though, so it's, it's weird that they would have... I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe... maybe the people who made uh maniac because maniac came out in december of 80 and and uh don't go in the house came out earlier maybe they saw it but i imagine it was just parallel thinking yeah a little bit of a morphic resonance everybody's having the same thought and, yeah uh, made the same movie at that point kind of like dante's peak and volcano yeah yep <laughs> classic example well that guy he might come in a little too hot for you steve let's move on to bachelor number three okay <laughs> might come in too hot ben you punster look at me look at me now bachelor number three here you know what this guy he gets a little freaky he gets a little bit freaky i'll tell you this freaky deaky? he's uh. really into cross-dressing uh, okay okay he's been known to dress in drag a time or two very mm -hmm. close to his mother he wants you to meet her uh, also really mm -hmm. into into shower sports and water play. Oh, water play. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. a little He likes it wet outside. and wild. 
That's a little outside of my element, but are we talking about Norman Bates? That might be a Norman Bates from Alfred Hitchcock's classic Psycho, one of the OG horrific horror movies. Still a really weird fucking movie. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that movie uh, hasn't dropped off, uh, I don't think. It's um, still equally uh, creepy. Yeah, yeah. Um, that guy might be a little bit too weird for you, so let me go ahead and move you on to, to Bachelor number number four here. Is that all right? All right. Yeah, no, I'm... Listen, all right? I'm trying to make a decision, and I, I'd like to get a lot of options. Well, that's good. I've got a couple more here for you now. Now, this one is actually... <laughs> this is actually a Bachelorette that we're looking at here, Steve. All right. Might be a little more your speed. Uh-huh. Now, she is big into into staying at home with Mama. And uh, okay. trying her best to hide her dirty pillows as she studies the scriptures. She's a traditional kind of lady. Okay. But don't let her mom's uptight attitude keep her uh -huh. from partying. She ain't about to let uh, let all that uptightness make her plug it up. All right. All right. Now, I feel like you might be talking about Carrie. <laughs> that. That would be correct. That would be awesome. correct. Awesome. Yes. Now, okay. I'll put it out there too, though. If this is your date of choice, you better be taking her to some kind of kosher restaurant because she does not get along with the blood of no. the swine. She's not a fan of, of pigs. And you know what I hear? She does not want to go see Grease. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you remember in Carrie when John Travolta slaps his girlfriend? He does that, yeah. That's yeah. real weird. That's a anyway. that's still a cool flick too. I enjoy that. That's yeah. what I like. No, too Carrie's great. Yeah. Well, let me go ahead and put this out here for our final our final bachelor of the evening here, Steve. Now this guy, mm -hmm. this guy right here, you know, he really likes to party. He is a party animal, but. While he's not outraging, he enjoys <laughs> time at home. Okay. Restoring mannequins. Oh, all right. Perhaps even nailing a scalp from a severed head onto one or handcuffing himself <laughs> to one in bed. Now tell me, just real quick, does he look like Ron Jeremy fucked Edward James almost? You know what? Don't let his scarred exterior... <laughs> fool you he's got a heart of gold uh yeah okay and we're talking about our titular maniac that is correct frank zito from 1980s maniac the subject of today's good old podcast, frank zito who i consider to i really i really do genuinely think to be the most disgusting and warped character of of any movie that i've ever seen of all time um, I'm gonna pick Sissy Spacek. So, <laughs> it was a, it's a tough choice, but honestly, uh, um, uh, I, yeah, I, I have I can't get past the not being into guys thing. Yeah. Uh, and also the guys you named, you know, they're just not my type. They sound a little bit on the crazy side of things, I guess. Yeah. If you had named David Duchovny or something, then maybe we'd be talking. Now, Donnie Kohler from Don't Go in the House, though, man, he loves the disco dance. He likes to have a good time. He does. Yeah, that's actually an interesting... There are interesting elements of Don't Go in the House and Maniac that, like, the parallels are uncanny at yeah. points. Yeah, definitely so, man. Definitely so. So, yeah, it must... I, and it had to 
it seems to me it had to be some form of parallel thinking. I mean, there's no way that I don't know. Don't go in the house wasn't a huge flick. It wasn't. It wasn't even uh, early enough in 1980 for them to have seen it and then try to reflect it in Maniac. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. The so Maniac came out in 1980, and I, I find it really fascinating that I rarely ever meet people who have seen this movie. Um, or maybe have even heard of it. And it's like if a lot of yeah. people have heard of it, it's because of the, the remake that came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, the Elijah Wood and yeah. And the remake is and the remake is good and all, but I think it's really strange, you know, again to kind of go back to what we were talking about a second ago, I think it's strange to see that Henry Portrait of a serial killer gets as much praise as it does when I frankly think that everything it does, Maniac does a hundred times better and more fucked up. Yeah, I mean, I had just watched Henry right before watching this, and I I think Henry foresee like there. The interesting thing is that Maniac presents us with an ac semi accurate rendition of the depravity of a serial killer. Yeah. Henry introduces us into a world that we then have afterward. I think Henry gets a lot of like praise because Henry introduces us into the world that we now have where you can, you could go online and see a murder. Like if you want to, you could, right. you could look one up and that that's kind of what's happening in Henry portrait of a serial killer with, they have a VHS camera and they're filming their murders. Right. Um, so I, I think maybe Henry gets a lot of praise because it foresees the future, but I think Maniac illustrates the depravity of the mind of a serial killer better. Well, and the thing is, too, that's so unique about it, man, is there's so many movies where we have, you know, these amazing, amazing villains and, and killers and stuff, like some of the ones we named off just a second ago on our quiz there, but you're not there for the moments after they kill somebody. You know, you're not there to see it. Like, in a lot of these flicks, the killer will murder somebody and then the scene changes or it goes to black and it's the next day or whatever. Yeah. But an interesting thing about Maniac is it really explores the home life of one of these people and what their reaction is yeah. uh, right after they murder somebody, man. Like, one of the, one of the first kill scenes in the movie is when he goes and he hires that that prostitute yeah solely just to kill her and at least yeah. i i guess it turns into that anyway I, yeah i don't i don't know because i there's a lot going on here with the character and the conversations he has with himself oh, in his apartment yeah but he's actually talking to the corpse he just killed but when talking to the corpse he just killed, he's talking to the spirit of his mother that he believes lives in the person that he just killed. Right, exactly. And it's like, it's not like there's narrative explaining that or anything no. like that. You as the viewer are just, just put into the situation. Yeah, exactly. Where he's there in his, in his disgusting, just vomit hole apartment talking to this mannequin and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. You just have to figure it out for yourself. You're just like, what the yeah. fuck is going on here? Man, that f that first scene where he kills that prostitute in the hotel room is just disgusting. And it's maybe like 10 or yeah. 15 minutes into the movie. Um, yeah, he hires a prostitute. He goes up to a room. 
and like he tells her he tells her like you know dance like a model for me and then she starts to take her clothes off and he's like leave your clothes on and he looks dude joe spinell that plays frank zito the maniac in this movie is just by unfortunate nature absolutely fucking disgusting and creepy looking just creepy as all fuck man uh, he he can look not creepy. I mean, if you've seen him in Godfather, Godfather Two, or Rocky, Rocky Two, yeah. he plays he plays gross characters, and he plays a gross character in this. So he he comes off as automatically creepy. But you can find photos of him where he just looks like just regular old dude. So that means he's doing something. Right. He's putting something into it. He wow. he's he's deciding his faces. He, uh, I don't know if he was deciding to be covered in sweat in these scenes or if he was covered in sweat because it was hot or if he was covered in sweat because he was on drugs because he was on drugs during this time. Right. He was a raging druggie and, and, and yeah. alcoholic. And, and just to kind of finish my, my thought about that kind of aftermath oh, yeah, yeah. that I was saying, it's like after he kills that prostitute, you know, he cut. He he goes into the bathroom and immediately throws up in the sink and is crying. Uh huh. And yeah. man, he comes out of that. He comes out of that room, and I don't know, man. It's like we're used to seeing these killers just be stone cold sociopath, cold blooded, yeah. and shit. But he comes out of that bathroom, and he's crying, and he's upset, and he's shaking, and he's he's shaking his head. And he's like, "Why did you make me do that?" I didn't yeah. want to, but at the same time, he's saying that he's getting out the razor to fucking cut her scalp off. Like, well, yeah, well, he, yeah, he feels like he has to. He has to preserve them. That's a big thing for him. It, we get that later when he's talking to, I guess, the the character who plays our main uh, female protagonist, yeah. Caroline Monroe. Uh, character's name is Anna. Um he he's talking to her she's an artist and he's talking to her about art and he he's talking about how you as an artist you preserve someone like you catch them in a moment and you own them and they're yours and that's what he is trying to do with these girls is catch them in a moment and own them right yeah it's like to him he doesn't even see it as he's murdering somebody he's keeping no no he's preserving them yeah yeah, he's helping them in some way, but he also doesn't he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> like he he's so conflicted and so strange. And, and the fact that he's an artist is very interesting too. Like he is an mm-hmm. artist. He in his uh apartment, like I I would imagine if he were a real serial killer, like after he got caught, there he would have a lot of followers. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Like a Charles Manson type, very charismatic. Yeah, very, yeah. very charismatic, very strange. Like he, he's vi- like he's interesting because we get shown him as the weirdo he is first, yeah. and then later we see him just being normal with people. I, I've wondered, especially after watching it this time, if he has, you know, just just kind of subtly written in, if he has like a multiple personality kind of thing going on because there's yeah. clearly him, you know, in his home where he's a yeah. fucking lunatic. Yeah. And then there's him while he is, you know, hanging out with Anna and stuff where he's very normal and very charismatic. Yeah. And yeah. then several times even through the movie, we see the, I don't know, I just think of it as the Hollywood, um, 
you know, makeup artist character where he's in his home fucking nailing scalps onto a mannequin while he's wearing like a blue velvet robe and sunglasses talking about this just isn't going to do yada yada yada. Like the way yeah. he's speaking is completely different than all the other yeah, times. Yeah, he's he's playing a character at that point. He's wearing an ascot and yeah. he yeah, he's talking in a slightly different voice and it's like he's doing like a hairstylist character and what he's talking about is the fact that this blonde hair it has a bunch of blood in it. Ugh. Um yeah. It <sighs> Joe Spinell is amazing in this. Like He's unbelievable it, and it's especially yeah. amazing too whenever you factor in that you know from all accounts, from everything that you'll ever read about the guy or see in interviews with people that knew him, he was one of, like, the best dudes in the fucking world. He was extremely yeah. nice, extremely charismatic. He was fucking Sylvester Stallone's uh, son, child. Sage. Yeah. Yeah, his son, Sage's uh, godfather, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And was just, by all accounts, an A1 wonderful mm -hmm. guy but then he he tapped into something absolutely disgusting and strange i would really like to know more about what he researched to get into this role i think he researched uh injecting cocaine <laughs> yeah well <laughs> like, that's apparently I, the story too is that yeah. he was a raging partier yeah i think i th like I think a lot of his research and uh, director William Lustig's research was like having seen these exploitation films and things that were made by, you know, people. Roger Corman was a big creator of exploitation films mm -hmm. and also having uh, been a part of the disco scene and part of, you know, uh, friends with uh, pornographic actresses in the 70s in mm -hmm. this like... I mean, uh, porn is semi-cleaned up. There are certainly uh, areas of porn where there are actors who are having a good time and they're not addicted to drugs and they, they really want to be doing what they're doing. Sure. But in the 70s especially, and even still today, drugs are a large portion of it and people uh, caught in a corner who need the drugs to not feel like they're going to die get talked into doing some really fucked up shit the 70s <laughs> yeah. that's how porn came out of the 70s right like so they were part of this world william lustig before directing this directed porn he directed two porn movies oh and, really yeah and um well that makes sense because a lot of the females in this yeah, movie like a porn yeah like a mm -hmm. lot of the kills mm -hmm. and the models and the modeling scene and stuff like that yeah. are just porn stars yeah, and Joe Spinell was married to a porn star for four years in the 70s. And they got divorced a year before this came out. So wow. around the time he was writing it, I would imagine. It's really interesting for me, too, to see that, you know, again, with all accounts of, of Joe Spinell being such a nice, wonderful guy, he wrote this movie. Like, he wrote this movie for himself to star in and just be revolting. Yeah, I don't think that says much, honestly. Like, um, I I learned this long ago from uh, being a fan of metal growing up and then meeting a lot of metal musicians. Yeah. People who write about demented shit aren't the people you need to worry about. That's a really good, yeah. You know what? I can't argue that in the least. All my years of playing heavy music and stuff, I have met yeah. some of the nicest people in the world are guys that, that play the most brutal, you know, hellacious music 
Yeah, the thing is that when you when you have uh, you know, grown up a particular way or been forced into particular situations, when your life has created darkness within you, there there are a few ways to go about it. Uh, one of them is is to try to grin and bear it and just live uh, whatever you think a normal life is. Uh, another is to go out and kill people because of it, and another is to to release that darkness and I don't know like it, it becomes a sort of like uh, a group therapy situation right you, you're creating something out of it yeah and everybody else is like yeah I get it like no we're not gonna go kill anybody but like I understand I get your feeling I get what you're saying I feel that feeling too let's rage together and then just be cool dudes like so so what you're saying is probably Kirk Cameron is like way more fucked up than Joe Spinell was. <laughs> I'm not saying probably. I'm saying Kirk Cameron's more fucked up than Joe Spinell. Yeah. Because Kirk Cameron, Kirk Cameron believes in women being subjugated to men. What's the difference between this character and Kirk Cameron? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Kirk Cameron. I Fuck hope you. he's listening. Yeah. I know he is. Kirk, stop doing coke. Buddy, stop doing coke. The hooker's not going to undie. <laughs> now, one of the things to me about this movie that really stands out to me that is just something that, you know, not only do you not see it in movies anymore, but you can't see it in movies anymore, is just how fucking disgusting and grubby city life was there in the 70s into yeah, the early New 80s. York and city stuff. is real grubby in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. It's real gross. Like, I love uh, Lillian Kaustuper from uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. Her her entire aesthetic is established around the 70s and 80s New York. Like that, that grimy disgustingness. There is not one surface of any room, of any floor, of any, any yeah. surface in this movie that I would ever consider like touching and then not washing my hands immediately. You know what? I, I don't know why. I think it has to do with the fact that uh, the there was a certain aesthetic of like browns and greens and oranges in the 70s. But I, I associate the 70s with fungus. <laughs> Just everything's going to be kind of moldy there. Yeah, I feel like the 70s smell like a moldy cigarette. Yeah. Like just disgusting and so 1980 no different i mean honestly uh I, I wasn't even in the world so nothing nothing was improving yet yeah well very true it took a big change <laughs> after you came in man came in like a wrecking ball yeah like miley uh-huh turkey butt <laughs> especially the scenes like where he's chasing that chick down in the subway and then she oh, dude, she hides like in that bathroom oh it looks so like, gross dude it looks like there are heroin needles littering every surface of everywhere down there it's just fucking gross and you gotta think it's like that's not a movie set that is just no it's just they, a subway. they yeah, just filmed it's a it subway that way. bathroom yeah, yeah exactly Oh, most of this is guerrilla filmmaking they were just showing up at places and shooting exactly they, they didn't have Literally. permits yeah, yeah, literally showing up and shooting, which, you know, yeah. the incredible Tom Savini, who in this movie appears as oh, Disco Boy, uh, handled yes. the special effects of this movie. Tom Savini, you guys know from 
basically every movie. Um, uh-huh. every Dawn of the movie Dead, ever. Day of the Dead, <laughs> uh, Friday the Thirteenth, Prowler. Uh, he's he's. He's so important. <laughs> like yeah. we, I, I feel like we may mention him in almost every episode. I think so, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> totally so, because seriously, without him and his and his students, we would not have horror. I mean, horror is inseparable from gore, and without Tom Savini, yeah. we do not get that stuff. So, you know, a, as you said a second ago, they were literally shooting on scene, guerrilla style, yeah. in the scene where the maniac stalks out Tom Savini as Disco Boy and his girlfriend, who was his real-life girlfriend at the time, um, in a car there underneath a bridge there by the bay. uh, The maniac jumps on the hood of the car, which is actually kind of interesting because the shot that that Frank Zito, you know, he shoots a double-barrel shotgun into the car and blows Tom Savini's head off. That's actually Tom Savini blowing a Tom Savini dummy away. Yeah. Yeah, I read that. And then he threw the gun to a friend of uh, Joe Spinell, who was in the back of a truck, and they sped away with the gun. Yeah. So if the cops showed up, they, they wouldn't have a gun. Yeah, because at that time, you were not allowed to fire a gun in New York City. You were not allowed no, to. If I, you were caught firing yeah. a gun, you would get five years in fucking prison. So in order to <laughs> see what, in order to make what you see on screen, they literally risked jail time. These guys were yeah. willing to put their fucking asses in jail in order to make this happen. And it, it's crazy, too, because, okay. Tom Savini had that that plaster head cast of himself, which he said they filled with all kinds of stuff from the catering table. They filled it yeah, up with lunch. Like, yeah, just a bunch of stuff from lunch and fake blood. Yeah, and meat and all kinds of stuff. Uh, he jumped on the hood of the car, uh, blew his own head off, and then they immediately dragged the car into a garage where it sat for about two weeks. And then they realized that they needed to get the interior shots of his girlfriend and the blood getting splashed on her from the headshot. And it was so vile and disgusting from all the oh, rotten food God. stuff. They couldn't they couldn't even use it. So what they did is they pushed that car into the Hudson River. And so <laughs> somewhere at the bottom of the Hudson River, there is that car with a hole in the windshield and this exploded mannequin head of Tom Savini sunk at the bottom mm. of the fucking Hudson River somewhere, which I think is so badass, man. And as a side note, too, I will say that is one of the best headshots of any movie I've ever fucking seen. Yeah, it's amazing. Tom Savini is so good. He's Fuck just yeah. so good. And, and it's 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 a real, like... It says a lot about a horror movie when Maniac, which was shot without any sort of approval, any sort of insurance, any sort of, and I don't support those things. I think, you know, you know, go with the law and, and, and provide insurance for everybody on the fucking set, etc. But when this was shot and that shot looks so amazing, and then you think of the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, <laughs> yeah and it's just like why 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 are they even trying to make movies anymore if they can't if they can't throw together this is cheap it's cheap to throw together yeah if you can't at least match that yeah it looks better and you're gonna spend fifty thousand dollars on on shit why yeah yeah uh, i don't get it 
I agree. There's so many examples of that, of people doing these incredible visual effects and stuff and just making something that really makes a statement on no budget. And then you get these guys with a fucking unlimited, you know, millions on millions and millions of dollars budget, and they just make fucking bullshit. It's terrible. Yeah. The kills in the movie are, I think, absolutely just unflinching and grimy like that is the word yeah. for me about this movie is fucking grimy all the scenes yeah. where he's like scalping these women and cutting their cutting their hair off of them yeah i think the um the first kill is a like the the, the cold open kill is a couple on the beach yeah and that one's not the it's most amazing it's kind of mild in comparison to the rest the the kill the prostitute uh, first off, he picks up a prostitute outside of a hotel, and the the person at the desk is I I didn't know this, but I wrote in my notes uh, just as disgusting looking as Joe Spinell. Turns out it's director William Lustig. So, oh, really? Yeah. Um. So he he takes her up to the room. They start, you know, uh, having. I don't know how that conversation goes. I don't ever want to find out. But the <laughs> prostitute John conversation. Um, and the, he kills her by strangling her, but it's not like an old-fashioned movie strangle where, like, he strangles her for a couple seconds and she's dead. Oh, it goes and goes. It goes and goes and goes. And I, I'm pretty sure there's a deleted scene in the... in natural born killers mm -hmm. where tom sizemore kills a prostitute and i'm pretty sure it's it's very much influenced by this well and even in those shots too you get those shots that are from her perspective of her looking up at him and you just mm -hmm. see his strained sweaty clenched jaw gross just ugh. Yeah. fucking disgusting man yeah I I can't disagree. There's a really great scene. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever seen the series The Fall mm -mm. with Gillian Anderson. Mm -hmm. uh, I highly recommend it. I know I always highly recommend things, but I'm going to go ahead and highly recommend this. Um, Gillian Anderson plays uh, a detective in Ireland trying to solve a series of murders that are similar to this. Like, there are even mannequin parts involved. Like, wow. Yeah, so th this has influenced pop culture even today. Um, in the fall, there's a there's a really powerful scene where she's talking about how long it takes to actually strangle someone to death. Mm -hmm. And as she's talking about it, she's squeezing her wrist and she keeps talking and then she stops and she's like, uh, like she says something like a minute and a half. Like, that's how long I could do that. It takes three minutes to strangle someone. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's like, like, it, it becomes even more real when you realize, like, how long it takes. And in fact, um, uh, uh, the killer that, uh, in American Horror Story, they, they actually deal with this killer who killed nurses in Chicago in the 70s. Can't remember his name. I wish I could. Um, but... He he said that about killing. He said that the thing that you you don't realize is how long it takes. Hmm. <laughs> so like, so like they had these things in mind. Like yeah. other killers had said stuff that gave them the idea to think about like, 
well, the strangling scene needs to be over long. It needs to seem longer than any strangling scene you've seen before. Right. And it's so perfect. It works great. I mean, it's disgusting, which is what it should be. Yeah. Now, after he after he kills these women, his his thing, as we mentioned, is to scalp them and then take their scalps back to his to his apartment there and nail their scalps onto mannequins. He has like a mm-hmm. mannequin fetish, and I guess he feels like by putting these scalps onto them, he is making them real, or like we said, kind of saving these women in these. You know, because because a mannequin doesn't age, a mannequin doesn't rot or anything like that. Yeah. So. I guess that's his way of making it permanent is by having this unaging artificial woman with this real woman hair on top of it, which is some crazy fucking serial killer shit that could actually happen. Yeah, absolutely. And we should mention that the thing that drives him is that his uh, mother was a prostitute who abused him and uh, made him go into the closet while she had sex with strange men for money. Right. Yeah, and, um, and it basically that kind of drift drove him to be like, you know, these, and, and there's a scene in the movie where he has like a big long dialogue. It's almost like with you as the viewer, but it's yeah, all in his head. Yeah, he's talking to us. Yeah, I, that's that's one of the main things in this movie that I found is that he is talking to us. And yeah. Like he, it's it's like a questioning of even watching horror movies. It's questioning how you can do this and how you can watch this and just telling you like. This is how depraved I am. This is where this comes from. Why are you still watching this? Yeah, yeah. And he he says in his monologue to himself there, he's like, you know, these guys come around with their money and their fancy cars or whatever, but but I really love you. I'm the one that loves you. You know, they they can't love you like I can and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, and we find out later that he killed his mom. Like, so... uh, he killed his mom that may have been the the initiating kill or it may have been a kill later on edmund kemper um his mother wasn't his first kill but i guarantee he would like for her to have been his first kill he uh he killed some co-eds leading up to killing his mother and yeah it there are there are other killers that have done that where the there's this desire to kill their mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they think that Ed Gein might have killed his mother. There's a few people that yeah. think he might have. He definitely dug her up, but some people also yeah. estimate that he might have killed her because she was a very just... Domineering. Oh, man, yeah. brutal, domineering yeah. uh, woman presence in his life. So they think they also think he might have killed his brother, too. There's a lot of fucked up stuff, man. Yeah. Um... So uh, this is interesting though because what this focuses on like when we talk about these killers with mommy issues what it focuses on is freudian psychology sure and the idea that you know we all males we want to you know kill our father and and marry our mother yeah but in this in the these situations the father has been eliminated and the mother acts as the domineering force and so these boys get so messed up by their mom being a single mom and Mm -hmm. so like if when i break it down to that it's easy to realize how all of these portrayals are already sexist right like because the the idea is that without a father there your mother uh is gonna fail at raising you and make you want to kill 
all women. Yeah, exactly. And it's like I, yeah. you know, I grew up raised by women basically. And yeah, I, me I too. Have... I, yeah, I barely. I had a, a couple of strong uh, males in my life, but mostly women. Just yeah. women raising me. Yeah. yeah, same here. All the all the good male role, male role models I've ever had have come much, much, much later in my life and. Yeah. In my childhood, it was all it was all women that were the role models for me, and I haven't become a lunatic, so there's that. <laughs> so that's one out of two of us. Yeah. <laughs> Good that's odds. That's 50%. It's not so bad. Now, Steve, what do you think of Frank Zito's apartment? Do you like his decorating style? How do you think <laughs> I actually somebody... kind of do. I actually kind of like uh, uh, some of the stuff. I'm like, okay, like if I saw this as an art installation, I'd be like, Oh, all right. This is interesting. You know, the color of his walls are kind of the color of my kitchen. That, like, dark purple. Yeah. <laughs> um, That dark purple's a good color. I like it. I like I, it. I, I think that um, he, he, he is an artist. That's the thing. I think Joe Spinell is, like, he's working through some things in this that, like, he's realizing, like, I... I obviously have talent. I'm artistic. I have a lot going on, but I feel like I'm disgusting. I feel bad. I feel like I'm I'm terrible for women and, and, and I don't want to ruin other people's lives all the time, but I do. And, and so he's working through this like amazing, like it, it, if we could see this today, like if he was working this out in a podcast, for instance, because uh -huh. I've listened to podcasts where it's obvious that the person hosting the podcast is working out a lot of shit. If he w if he were working this out in a podcast, it would be like riveting. It would be you amazing. Would, yeah. Yeah. And, and so like to to dismiss this movie is like just overly violent towards women and and having no real value is it would be ridiculous this is a very valuable movie there's a lot going on here and it's very artistic as i said in my my uh weird rambling text to you this this movie is a poem like yeah to, to me like it, it's poetic and artistic and there's so much going on with it but it's also depraved and indifferent and disgusting oh yeah man and and in his apartment he's got He's got like a shrine to his mother. He's got a huge photo of her and all these candles around her and stuff. And yeah. he's got. But even the photo of her is like she looks mad. Yeah. Like she's got a cigarette in her mouth. She doesn't look like a nice person. Uh uh. No, but he still like idolizes her and worships yeah. her. And of course, he's got all the mannequins and stuff, which he has all kinds of just fucked up interactions with, man. There's that one scene. He comes home. And I think I, I think I texted you when I was watching this the other night, and like he comes uh -huh. home and he uncovers the mannequin and he goes, "Did you miss me?" Oh god, it's oh. Just fucking disturbed, <laughs> dude. He, and then like the the first so scene gross. that we get of him, I think it's the first scene of him in his apartment, and he's going to bed, and he handcuffs him. He handcuffs himself to a mannequin. What the fuck yeah. does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. Like he he lays down next to a mannequin with a scalp nailed onto it and he handcuffs himself to it and he starts just sort of sobbing and it does he start humping? I think he's just shaking because he's like crying oh, okay. so hard. Yeah. Yeah. He does right. that several so, times in the movie too, like after he kills the prostitute, uh, he's just weeping uncontrollably. Mm -hmm. 
which again it's like you know that is the opposite of the stoic stone cold cold-blooded yeah. serial it's like this movie really shows you that these people's emotions and their thought processes are just a mess dude they are a mess yeah and it it, it humanizes him in a way but also because it, they don't linger on it long and they didn't they do linger on him preparing to go out and kill and then killing and everything that happens after he kills they don't linger long on the crying and sobbing and the the actual like background story so you never get too attached to him yeah yeah it's fucking weird man now what do you think okay this is just an area of minor interest for me in the movie but he's covered in scars. His whole body is covered in scars, yeah. and it's never explained where those. I came, think his came mother. From. He got those from his mother. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Or may, maybe not just his mother. Also, his Johns. I mean, this is a, a sad and depressing fact. But children are killed every week by mothers allowing uh, someone to rape them and kill them. It happens all the time. Right. Go to dreaming, dreamingdemon.com. I'd rather and, not. Yeah, don't. But I mean, if you want to read about the most depressing shit that you don't hear about in the news, you'll find out that this shit happens a lot and it's really sad. Woof. Uh, so the, you know, he's got these scars, uh, they look like burns and maybe cuts, uh, Prostitution's not a good game. Don't get into it if you if you can avoid it. At one point, doesn't he? I might be I might be remembering this wrong. At one point, doesn't he put out a cigarette by like opening the shirt of one of the mannequins and kind of stubbing yeah. it out underneath the shirt, like so you can't see it. Yeah, it's like he's replaying him himself being burned as a child. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's rough. I mean. Uh, the the story that that runs through this is that uh, he is in a park and a photographer takes his picture mm -hmm. and then he goes and checks out her address and like I guess gets in contact with her and he's normal with her normalish takes like, her out he, to he's... a clams casino yeah and he he's like. I don't know. It's interesting. Like, she seems like ready to reject him at any moment, and he seems ready to accept being rejected. He's playing like, he's it cool. Not, yeah, it's like yeah. the world doesn't depend on him making it with this chick or whatever. He's like, all right, yeah. Yeah. So, it's interesting though because that's not that's not the Frank Zito we know. Frank Zito we know needs this absolute approval of women and even if they are approving him, he still feels like they're dirty and they need to die. Right. And, you know, it's funny, too, because there's all these little warning signs that he drops, too, that us, knowing what we know about Frank, pick up on. Like, he's like, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever ever met since my mother. Yeah. he's <laughs> He does drop a lot of hints that if you're watching a horror movie, you're like, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> but in regular conversation, it's like, Oh, okay, maybe he really cares about his mother. He seems like uh, maybe he's just a, a deep feeling type of guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, dude. Caroline Monroe, who plays Anna, uh, she, she was in a movie called Star Crash. 
a year before this. She's in two movies that are covered on Mystery Science Theater 3000 The Return, one of them being Star Crash. That's also uh, got Spinell in it, doesn't it? It does. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. Right. He plays like a weird vampire oh, villain. Yeah. yeah, it's so strange. Um, She's great. Like, she's not the greatest actress, but she she plays in this role really well. She just seems uh, she seems to play the carefree artist type pretty well. And the problem is, is she, her role isn't really big in this. It's just ancillary. Oh, Even yeah, though absolutely. like she's, I guess, our final girl, our female protagonist, she's hardly in it. No, huh? Not really at all. And it, you know that makes it so that it is more, it is more apparent to us, the viewer, that he cannot relate to other people. You know, if we started no, relating yeah. with her, then we would, you know what I mean, see more of that. But it's like he, as a sociopath, as a, a non-human, can't connect with other humans. So I'm okay with yeah. her not really having a huge role in it. Yeah, and he uses his relationship with her to then kill one of the models that she's photographing one day and that kill is supremely disgusting fuck yeah dude that's where he's in her apartment she's like taking a bath and stuff right yeah he he shows up at her apartment he stole a necklace from a photography shoot that day and he pretends like he found it and is bringing it to her yeah and while he's talking to her he like switches off the lock on her door or something mm -hmm. and then while she goes to take a bath he sneaks in and the kill like we learn a lot about him as he's killing her he like gags her and binds her and he's talking a lot to her yeah like she's his mother yeah he starts talking to her yeah exactly just like she was his mom she does a great job acting in that part too because like her facial reactions and stuff even though she's gagged and all this stuff she's not you know verbally acting her physical acting is just like what the fuck is going on this guy is out of his fucking mind do you i i there are a lot of scenes like that and these aren't like a, a lot of these actresses are porn stars like do you think a lot of it was that they didn't know what was gonna happen? I have no idea. I would like to know just if they knew how fucked up what they were, you know, in was gonna be. Well, and and also like for uh, if if you were a porn actress in the seventies, you did have to worry maybe that you would show up to a shoot and it would go bad. Yeah, like, not just Wouldn't not just safe. bad in the sense of it it would be something you didn't want, but bad in the sense of. Like it might, it might get violent. Yeah, something might hurt you <laughs> and, or kill you or something. Yeah, so like having porn stars in this movie actually ends up working out Might have well some credibility because, to it. Yeah, like the the terror they're showing may be somewhat legitimate. And when he kills her, this is this is one of the grossest kills I've ever seen, and it's so simply gross. He slowly stabs her. Oh yeah. Like, just imagine that feeling of having a knife pressed against you slowly going into you. Ugh. Oh, my God. Like, ugh. It is brutal. And then he lays on top of her with the knife still in her. And I, I get, like, I thought he was humping her, but I think you're right. He just starts, like, sobbing. 
and it, it's like it's like he's fucking her like yeah. it's like he by laying on top of her with the knife in her and like sobbing it's like going into her deeper and it's like yeah. this weirdly psychosexual ridiculous sort of scene yeah no i think that you're definitely i think that you're definitely right there too man and basically he wins that photographer's affections and stuff somewhat and she kind of you know well he he takes her out to his mom's grave which is something yeah. that you do sometimes yeah uh, they after the funeral of the girl he killed um he takes uh her to his mom's grave and they're kneeled by the grave and he's praying like the lord's prayer super fast and he starts crying and she's she sort of tries to comfort him but then like he turns violent and there's a short chasing but she pretty much just gets away yeah she like hits him really hard in the arm with a shovel it's a pretty brutal hit yeah and he goes back to his mom's grave and and hallucinates her grabbing him from beyond the grave yeah now i think that's cool too and again it's yeah. obviously straight out of straight out of carry um yeah. but it shows you that the things that he's seeing aren't necessarily reliable he is out of his mind and seeing and hallucinating things and that's something too that and i'll talk about this a little bit more after we kind of cover this movie but they cover that in the remake um, a lot oh, more really? heavily, yeah. That he's hallucinating and seeing things and all that. They do that a lot more in the remake. But that's mm. kind of a minor element here. Um, that also kind of makes the ending of the film pretty, pretty whacked out too. Yeah, because pretty much right after that, he goes back to his apartment and he's really super upset about uh, about losing her and stuff. And then all the mannequins with the scalps of these women that he's that he's killed from our perspective come alive and pick up their murder weapons and kill him with them and dude the kill is so fucking out of control brutal he's laying on the bed and they're tearing him apart and they slowly rip his head off and like the the expression on the face of the of the fake head is like grotesque and just disgusting there's gore and blood just fucking everywhere it's nuts but then you know it makes you realize oh you know that wasn't real actually yeah that didn't happen at all and the cops show up because of course uh anna goes and calls the cops the cops show up at his apartment and they find him they believe dead because they see a blade sticking out of his gut his head is still squarely on so we know yeah so it was not real yeah what we saw wasn't real so we have to assume that he committed suicide by stabbing himself in the gut but then the cops without like you know checking his pulse or anything they're like hey he's dead and they walk out and then dun 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 his eyes open yeah (laughs) which was supposed to set up maniac 2 which joe spinell wrote and and was trying to get made really uh, yeah, before he died. Whoa, so, I didn't know that. I would love to fucking read that script and see what that's about. Yeah, me too. I would love to know what he foresaw for <laughs> the maniac in a sequel. Now, one of the things about this movie that I think makes it even even creepier in a lot of ways too is the soundtrack. I think the soundtrack to this flick is fucking rad, man. And a lot of yeah. it, there's not really a lot of music music other than some of the... No. 
the silly stuff man like that going to the showdown that song that's at the bottom <laughs> that's the best yeah i've actually listened to that several times because it's so, it puts me in a good mood going so to funny. the showdown yeah <laughs> so there's not really a lot of song songs there's a lot of just like long synth pads and just a lot of really yeah. long like keyboard synthesizer notes but there's other weird stuff too like especially there at the first of the movie after he kills a couple on the beach and we're in his apartment, there's like this really soft flute music. Yeah. That's like so like it sounds like music that would be in like a fantasy movie or something. And there's a bunch of really weird angular like fretless bass on the soundtrack too. It sounds like it sounds like um do you know the bass player Jaco Pistorius? Yeah. You know, he played bass for Weather Report and a lot of other bands. Uh-huh. And was widely regarded as one of the greatest bass players, but greatest musicians of all time. Well, he's not Getty Lee, so. Well, there you go. And he was also <laughs> like a raging lunatic too. He was he was manic depressive, bipolar, had a lot of problems and stuff. And yeah. a lot of the music, which you know, he was alive during this time period of this movie. A lot of the music sounds like what Jocko would have played at the lowest of his lows. Is just what it makes me think of, personally, because it's a lot of this this fretless bass stuff, like what Jocko played. Only it's really scattered and really strange and unorganized and unsettling sounding. Man, I think the soundtrack is fucking awesome. The the composer Jay Chataway, um, I had looked him up, and what really impressed me was that he went on to. Uh, do music for Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Dang. and Enterprise. Um, I'm a, I'm a, a a trekker. I like to to watch the Star Trek. I don't think I, I do not think that one should choose between Star Trek and Star Wars because they're completely different things, and it's ridiculous to put them in competition. But uh, if you listen to the music on on Star Trek The Next Generation. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Like it's it, the 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 scope and the feel of it is amazing, and it, it it doesn't resemble Maniac, but it proves that Jay Chataway is someone who knows how to to use music to create an ambiance. That is and, for fucking sure. Yeah, and he does that in this movie amazingly. Wow. Now let me ask you another thing, Steve. A lot of the criticism I see about this movie are about the uh, somewhat questionable acting in several in several parts of the okay. film. How do you feel about the quality of the acting in this movie? I'm fine with it. Like what I mean I I don't know. I I think sometimes when people think of acting, they're people who forget that people act. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't know someone who in your own life is obviously acting, you don't know enough people hmm, yeah. like so when i when i see someone uh, a, a prostitute for instance who's obviously acting it's like yeah she's a prostitute like do you <laughs> think she, this is what she wants to do with her life no she's pretending and she's going yeah you're really good yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly like whatever you know it's it's not um so yeah the the acting's not amazing but also i i don't know i I can't imagine if the actresses were good that they would let the kill scenes be the way they were 
it's interesting yeah. too to me, man, because obviously, obviously Joe Spinell absolutely fucking steals the show. His his performance, is, yeah, he's great, I, dude. I think it is just about the most believable and terrifying psychopath in any movie ever. I can't think of any singular character in a movie that makes me feel as grossed out as that guy. Like you could put me in an elevator with Norman Bates any day of the week. You could put me in an elevator mm-hmm. with fucking, you know, Francis Dollarhide or Yeah. Um uh Hannibal Lecter, whoever. But dude, if you had to ride like a ten story elevator with fucking Frank Zito, you would be sweating fucking bullets. I'll <laughs> then I I thought we might avoid politics, but I feel like we're all riding a ten story elevator with Frank Zito with our current president. <laughs> and that's all I'll say about that. Also Mike Pence. Also Mike, Mike Pence, Pence. <laughs> mm-hmm. calls his calls his wife mother. So Ew. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, he calls his wife mother. Oh shit. When I texted you earlier that we should include Mike Pence in the weird uh uh mom obsessed killer thing, <laughs> you didn't know that. Okay. No. <laughs> calls his wife mother. If you call your wife mother, first off, you're a bad person. That's I'm disgusting. just gonna go ahead and put that out there. Uh anyway. Ugh. God, I yeah. kinda wish I wouldn't have known that. Yeah. Yeah, we all do. But <laughs> it's the world we live in. So let's get back to the happier, shinier world of maniac. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where everything is understandable and clean and pretty. You know, the biggest impression that I can tell you about maniac and how it feels to me is it reminds me if you took, you know, some guy that they just pulled off of death row because they found, you know, fucking 40 bodies in his crawl space. And he was a depraved homicidal lunatic. It reminds me of if you gave that guy a budget and a film camera and said, make the movie that you'd (laughs) want to see. Tell us your story. (laughs) It would be like this movie because so much of this movie, you know, we have these scenes with Frank Zito where he's alone and he's kind of, you know, giving us his sob story, basically. Uh, trying to make us feel bad for him and his situation and seeing that he has to do these things. These women are making him do this. His mother's making him do this. He doesn't want to, but he has to. And trying to make us, the viewer, feel sympathetic for him. And then all the other people in the movie that aren't acting like real people at all, I feel like a lunatic would watch that and be like, yeah, that's how people act. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's how they are, right? Isn't that how people act? Yeah, he. I mean, he sees them as mannequins. Like, exactly. We're, we're seeing this world through his view. Yeah. So, yeah, they're going to act like mannequins. They're going to act wooden and stilted and be, you know, overly uh, obvious as actors. And that's, that's how he sees the world, is that everyone's acting. Yeah. Well, and, and to him, too, it's like... He might not even see a distinction between a human and, and a mannequin. To, to, to him, like, a mannequin yeah. probably has just as many feelings and emotions as, mm-hmm. a, as a human does. Because as far as he's concerned, a human is just an object, a body, you know? Yeah. So I think yeah. the way that the, the rest of the cast is actually kind of subpar, it actually, to me, makes the movie seem even more ludicrously insane. I feel like if it was more believable 
it would reveal to me that a normal human made this movie. But I think the fact that it's so unbelievable and weird and strange and unhuman-like, I, I just watch it and I, and I just go, you know, what kind of frame of mind does somebody have to be in to make this, dude? <laughs> Cocaine. <laughs> it's a <laughs> Cocaine, hell of a drug. no doubt, man. Yeah. Does that make sense, though? Like, it just feels like yeah. a lunatic. Yeah, it, that's exactly what it feels like. Yes, it feels like someone who would commit these crimes making a movie to try to explain why, yeah. and that they would they would watch this and be like, "Oh, well, obviously I can conveyed why I would do this," and and people seeing this will feel for me. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly how I feel about it too. Absolutely so. And you know, the thing about this movie that I find is really interesting, and what I think is part of why it seems so depraved and just senseless is like there is no antagonist in this movie there is no hero in this movie there is no yeah you know i feel like if a lot of other people would have made this movie there would have been the side story of this detective trying to solve the case and crack oh, the code yeah. of who's there's not there's nobody trying to stop him this whole fucking movie and there's no moral to be learned you know, there's no, no there's not. it's yeah, not a morality tale, no, whatsoever. There is no, well, like, even like if you watch, um, even if you watch Don't Go in the House, right? Uh -huh. like, Don't Go in the House is very clearly a movie about the cycle of child abuse and how yeah. abuse and violence begets violence and so on. Um, that's a crazy movie, but I feel like there is some morality there. Maniac, I don't feel like there is anything to learn from it other than this is how fucked up some people are. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I can't, I can't argue against that. I mean, it's, it's, there, there is a, an element of senselessness. Yeah. And an element of like, uh, just nihilism about the world that like, bad shit can happen to you and, and further bad shit will happen to other people and bad shit will keep happening and you can't fucking stop it. Yeah. And ultimately <laughs> nobody does stop him. It's like his own world caving in. Yeah. And him, we assume stabbing himself is what does him in, in the end. Like there's not even any kind of cop that, you know, rides in on a white horse and saves the day. Nothing. Yeah. And that, that's much more true to life. I mean, we, we see so much, in film of cops saving the day and TV of cops saving the day. And yeah. it's very rare that cops save any sort of day. Yeah. Seems more often that they ruin days. Could happen. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think this, this has a realness to it. Mm -hmm. It reflects a reality that needs to be understood. It still needs to be understood. It's still neglected. We still don't try to understand our underbelly we still don't try to lift people out of that we still look at poverty and and sex work and things like that as sins mm -hmm. and we don't see them as like extensions of the policies we make and the 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 economy we've, we've established mm -hmm. So, like, we don't want to see this. We don't want to believe this can be true. And even that, even after that, if we do see this and do believe this, we want to believe it's an isolated incident. And we want to believe that it's not a part of a deeper 
um, network of depravity and disgustingness. And this movie shows us that the, there a, there's prostitutes, there's a disgusting city, everything is gross, everybody has something going on that is a, a you know, some sort of sin or something. There's actions that go by without consequence. Yeah, actions without consequence. The the most you hear is just a little bit on the news, and the news is more interested in it continuing than it ending. So, right. Like, yeah. As a as a as a ratings kind of grab more than anything. Yeah. So th- this movie shows, and that's you know that's how I feel when I watch it. Is just how how gross we can be as as people. Um, it's it's not a movie you're gonna rush off to to see in the theater. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it's not a movie that people are probably clamoring for a, a re-release or anything, but it it's an important movie, I think. I think so, too, man. What's your overall rating and likes and dislikes of this flick? I don't have a ton of dislikes. Yeah. Uh, the, the ending is a little wishy-washy to me because, you know, I guess you want to set up a sequel because you want to make another movie, but the same time like couldn't you have just shown him like that and then start your second movie with him opening his eyes i think it's a more depraved story with it being self-contained i'm actually really glad they didn't make that sequel because to me it just makes the whole thing that much more senseless yeah um i think there are elements of the storytelling that work extremely well without going into deep exposition but i would have liked maybe you know what no i i think i'm good with it i i like the way they revealed stuff through his conversation with anna and then his conversation with the model that he kills conversation his rant at the model he kills kind of a one-sided conversation really so that i mean they did really good revealing things as they went I don't know. It's it's hard to judge the like. If you judge this on regular movie standards, then it's it's got some problems. But if if you look at it, because it really does work as a self-contained work of art that has a lot to say, that maybe doesn't fit into traditional horror genre stereotypes or or into traditional uh serial killer movie types like it, it's it's its own thing and it's very frightening and it, it really makes you feel gross but at the same time it's not a fun watch yeah no uh-uh. <laughs> it's not fun to watch uh so i i think it comes in at around 7.5 to 8 yeah, I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty reasonable, man. Because I'm, I'm with you. There's so much about this movie that I think is, is phenomenal. Again, just that capturing that era of how dirty and grimy and disgusting city life was, yeah. how just empty and faceless it all is. Um, that, again, the way that we just have this totally bizarre, uh, psychopathic movie style that is just unrelate, unrelatable and can't really compare it to anything else and how you know the killer is our main character there is nobody fighting to stop him i think that's all really fucking rad i don't think i've ever seen a truer look at what it must be like to be a maniac 
than than this movie. Just that level of depravity and, and grime that you feel when you watch this, I think is is unmatched personally. Um, special effects by Tom Savini, absolutely fucking awesome, amazing, amazing. kill scenes. Yeah, yeah, I there wasn't really, I can't really think of anything in this movie where a special effect was bad or really like took me out of it. You know. Um, again, that headshot, man, is so fucking badass. It, whenever, whenever his head explodes, it goes in like slow mo, and the, yeah. the gunshot is like reverberating in slow mo too. And it shows you probably a solid like ten seconds of head exploding. It just keeps going yeah. and going and going, and his girlfriend gets splashed with the blood. So fucking gross and rad, man. I really like that uh, a lot. Does uh, Greta Gerwig getting shot in House of the Devil kind of remind you of this? Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, man, I think that's even more out of nowhere, though. Yeah, yeah, it is more out of nowhere, and they spend less time on it. That's one of my favorites, It reminded me of this scene. Yeah, absolutely so, man. Prowler, Prowler also has a great headshot in it. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Um, so special effects, really badass soundtrack. Like I said, weird sets the mood perfectly. I couldn't, I could not think of a better soundtrack for this movie. Um, as far as dislikes, like I do think that the ending with him opening up his eyes is a little tropey. You know, it's just a little bit yeah. like ah, you know, um, you know, unnecessary little twist at the end. Yeah, and this was before widespread sequel mania had hit horror, too. So, like, yeah. you know, just chill. Like, relax. Maybe you'll get to make a two. Yeah, exactly. So I think that was a little a little unnecessary, but I don't hate it. I think that this movie is, is absolutely incredible and unique, and you really can't compare it to anything. Because, like I said, a movie like Henry is way more popular than this, but I think it yeah. it's way less effective. Even a movie like... Um, yeah. Natural Born Killers, I guess, is kind of similar in a way in that it is just senseless violence and you follow these killers around, but it doesn't make me feel like I need to take a fucking shower. Like, after this movie, I feel like <laughs> I just need to take a shower. Yeah. Um, it's not fun to watch. Like, I, I, want to, I want to say that this movie is like a 10 out of 10 because it makes me feel ways that no movie does. Um, but it doesn't make me happy at all to watch. It was it was one of those I kind of had to like sort of muster up the will to watch it again for the show. Yeah, that was tough for me, honestly. And actually, I'm glad I did watch it a second time because watching it a second time, it had less power, and I was able to see it more as a film. But yeah, that first time you watch it, it's just gross. I think, man, I think the second time around, it might have actually fucking fucked me up worse yeah. because like. It- it in, got grosser, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because in my head, I was like, surely I've just hyped this up as being more depraved than it really is. Like, I was thinking I had really overhyped it for myself. And I watched it and I was like, uh. nope, might even be worse than I thought it was. Because you just start <laughs> noticing all the psychotic ass shit in the movie, man. Yeah. Um. So I can't say that it's like a, a. I can't say that it's a 10 for me because I don't want to watch it again anytime soon. I want to watch it with. Uh, I want to watch it with people just to be like, hey, have you ever seen the craziest fucking movie ever made? Check this out. <laughs> you guys want to watch a you want to watch a quick romantic comedy with me? Oh, yeah. It's a maniac. He's yeah. a maniac for love. Well, like, I really want to watch this with like my wife, and I want to watch it with my buddy Mitch. Uh, yeah. Because we always used to like watching movies that were just about lunatics, like Red Dragon. Like, we all used to watch uh-huh. uh, Red Dragon, and then, you know, then Sons of the Lambs. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
and like quote it and joke around about it and stuff because it was like, whoa, this movie's crazy. But it's like, no, no, this movie's actually really, really fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is sincere. I would have to rate it. I would have to rate it like an eight and a half out of ten, maybe even a nine yeah. out of ten, just because the achievement is so colossal, but not fun to watch. Now, Steve, before we go, let me ask you: Have you seen the Maniac remake that stars Elijah Wood that came out a couple of years ago? Well, this is actually interesting because I actually i I was told by a friend of a friend to watch Maniac. We were just talking about horror movies at a at a party once, and I watched the remake. I, I started watching it, and I got maybe 20 to 30 minutes in before I decided it was just too disgusting, and I turned it off. But now, having seen the original, I feel like it was pretty tame. Yeah. Okay, here's the funny thing, man, is like I actually watched the remake before I saw the original. Okay. Because it was the only one that I could find streaming online. Um I'm trying to remember what it was on. I want to say it was on Netflix for a while. Yeah, it was. It was on for a while. I think it's on Hulu now. I think you're right, yeah. So it was the only one that I could find. I couldn't find the original. I was like, well, I've heard that it's pretty accurate to the original, so I'll just go ahead and watch this. It'll probably be close enough to get me in the ballpark of having an idea of what this is. And I watched it, and, you know, I had heard from a lot of people that it was just unbelievably fucked up. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was okay. I need to watch it again, really. I think after having seen the original a couple times, it might change the way that I feel about the remake. Um, it has some great gore in it. It has some great kill scenes. Elijah Wood in it is creepy, but he is not even... Dude, not yeah. even in the same ballpark as fucking Joe Spinell. Oh, no. I was actually just disgusted by it because it, to me, only seemed like it was about violence towards women. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. I, and it, that might even be true still of the remake because this movie is the the original is not just about violence towards women mm -hmm. but it seemed to me that maniac the remake was just about violence towards women and i was just like i don't i don't need this like yeah I, i've seen violence towards women i don't need to see it portrayed just for the fun of it that's ridiculous well hell really if you think about it in the in the original he kills two guys it's not just women yeah yeah, in the original, he's he's a killer. Like, he focuses on women, but he kills whoever yeah. is around. The remake had some cool stuff in it. There was one scene in there where, like, Elijah Wood, he's, uh, you know, he, he's just killed somebody. He's got blood on his hands, and he's all guilty, and he's, like, washing his hands, and he, like, steel wools his hands. Yeah. Ugh, it's fucking disgusting. I thought that was pretty cool. That's that That definitely stuck with me. Are you saying he's got blood on his hands with no remorse? He's got blood on his dick because he fucked a corpse? <laughs> That's DMX, everyone. DMX. That was a song that was played in clubs. I heard it played in a club once. What? He fucked a what? <laughs> he fucked a corpse. A corpse. We used to joke around that one, joke around about that all the time in college. For some yeah. Reason. Yeah. That's a weird fucking line. I just I've never gotten it. All right, DMX. I mean, I get it more now because he's he's gone obviously crazy, but you know whatever. Which brings me to my next topic, which is I want to see a Maniac remake remake starring DMX. 
<laughs> and all I I would love for it to be all it is is just a GoPro strapped to DMX's head on a regular day, like that episode of Sunny where it was just yeah. like Frank's life for a day. Yeah, yeah, because I guarantee it would involve like a, a pit bull fight. Yeah, and I I bet uh, at the end of the day a woman might be dead, likely fucking a corpse. Yeah, likely fucking a corpse. Yeah. I would rate that remake probably about like a five out of ten. It's okay. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and give it a six. Yeah. Yeah. You be that I, way. If we attach if we attach the right director to it, it's a seven and a half. No problem. <laughs> oh no, the remake remake, I'm that's a ten out of ten, without a doubt. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, you're talking about the remake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't yeah, I can't judge it yet. Unfortunate. <laughs> Well, Stephen, what are we going to be covering on this show next week? Oh, we'll be talking about it. Oh, yeah? We're going to talk about it a little bit? Yeah. That's a pretty yeah. good movie. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. I actually watched it recently. Huh. Well, all right. Have you ever seen it? Mm, I have not seen it. Who's on first? Guys, uh, second base. <laughs> um, we're going to be watching It. The, uh, what I just discovered, uh, before what, uh, like we started recording, I started looking up it, uh, three hours long. What? It's a long one, Steve. It's long oh, and God. strong. It's bound to get the friction on. <laughs> <laughs> Baby got back. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see this. I feel like it's I I think going into it is going to be disappointing, mm-hmm. but I I want it to not be because yeah. I so many people have told me it fucked up their childhood. Uh, it, it's just like when I, as a uh, sophomore in high school, watched Labyrinth and went, "What? <laughs> I didn't get it. I didn't get why anybody would like it ever. I still wow. don't exactly get it, but." Um, dance, it. magic dance. Yeah, okay. I get that. Uh, we all get that David Bowie is awesome. Yeah. Um, and Jennifer Connelly's fun to watch. Uh, but that movie, let's talk about it, guys. That movie. <laughs> uh, I, next thing you're gonna tell me is Dark Crystal is good. Dude, and guess Dark what, Crystal guys? Sick. What? I watched Dark Crystal from my childhood. I watched it as an adult, and I was like, you know what? This is a bad movie. No. Not a good movie. We might all have right, to cover right. it sometime. What about Legend? Legend's great. Okay, goddamn. I was I was gonna really have like some issues and be like, and signing off. This is the last episode ever. <laughs> last episode of Dead and Lovely. Well, I'll tell um, you what, Steve. I watched it for the first time um, maybe about a month ago. Kate got it for me on DVD for or no on Blu-ray for my birthday. Oh, the Blu-ray. And I went in the same as you. Very, very hesitant, really wondering mm-hmm. what it was going to be like, expecting to be very disappointed because I didn't see it when I was a kid, which is prime childhood ruining age to see this movie. Yeah. Um, I think that it's pretty badass. I look forward to talking over it with you, man. Awesome. And I totally, I can totally understand it fucking up some little kids' world when they saw it when they were little Great. Kid, it's, I do it's, love Tim Curry, so that's oh, always dude. fun. Yeah, you will love watching him in this. It's pretty badass so yeah next week we'll be talking about it which i think is also uh just about in time for the new uh it remake correct yeah yeah it'll be coming out i think 
uh, a couple days after uh, the It episode comes out. So it'll be a quick refresher in case, you know, you want to go into It being like, this couldn't possibly be as good as the first one. Push up glasses with finger. <laughs> I hope that the remake is cool. I think the trailer. I do too. I think the trailer dope. looks good. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too, man. I hope they don't fuck up the clown. The clown's the only thing. Pennywise is looking maybe a little questionable, but I hope that yeah. I'm wrong about that. I. You know what? I always hope I'm wrong about something sucking. You know, I. 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 I want everything to rule. Like people yeah, who want rules, things to suck. Fuck you. Why? <laughs> Why? Everything sucks. Please, just the next movie I watch be great. Yeah. Like, I I can't go into anything anymore. Uh, as I age, I can't go into anything anymore being like, uh, uh, impress me. I'm just like, yeah. please, I want you to be great. I'll give you everything to be good. <laughs> that might have been like some, some dialogue from Maniac, I think. Oh my god, yeah. I bet I bet <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I look I kinda look like Joe Spinell a little bit. No, you don't. I, no, I'm I'm uh, in the pudge region. Uh, like in the face region, I look like uh, An angel, Ryan, a cherub. Ryan Gosling and John Hamm had a sexy baby. Yeah, you got a six pack on your fucking forehead, you're so yeah. fucking hunky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we'll talk to you guys next week. Well, uh, ben, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch things up. Uh, where can they find you on the social media? They can find me wherever the green fern grows, wherever there mm -hmm. is a rainbow shining, mm -hmm. and yeah. do, and do dewdrops flourishing. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I look for you first. You could also find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ben Eller Guitars. What about you? Uh, you can always find me at Steven Spratling on the Twitter, on the Instagrams. Uh, you can also find me on, on the Facebooks. You can also find the podcast at Dead Lovely Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Mm -hmm. Or you can email us, deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook group. Um, you could, I don't know. Uh, you can send us dick pics to the yeah. Gmail uh, mm -hmm. account. I don't know yep. what to do with them. I'll probably, I don't, I'll probably post them. I have a, uh, I have a Rolodex of all the dick pics that we received. <laughs> dick pic Rolodex? Yeah. Oh man. Wait, do you do that thing that secretaries used to do where they'd kind of memorize the exact location? Yep. That's so they correct. knew exactly how to twist to it. So, you mm -hmm. know, like if, if somebody's like, I, I'm a, a, a six inch wide, you're like, oh yeah, that's uh, John Felton. Well, I also do it with a little bit of a flourish, somewhat like uh, like Ollivander from Harry Potter, where I'm like, ah, yes, <laughs> I remember this one you well. You pretend like you don't know. Yeah. Caucasian, yeah, okay. smooth, whippy. <laughs> whippy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Please go on iTunes, rate and review our podcast. Give us, even if it's just a short, this is cool review, that would be great. It helps us show up on the charts. And searches a lot more. So please go on iTunes, rate and review and subscribe. Casey Kasem's charts recently put us at number one. So no way. Casey yeah. Kasem? Yeah. Casey Kasem from the grave. Zoinks. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode. 
uh, you guys have been just a bunch of goddamn darlings, and we have been dead and lovely. Goodbye, y'all. Keep your clothes on. <laughs> it had to get weird. <laughs>